Welcome to the Target Audience Podcast. Each episode I discuss a film with a guest who is targeted by the film we discuss. They are the target audience and I attempt to get on their level. This is a podcast about empathy through film. I am Ben Miller and I will be your guide on this journey. My guests are a diverse group, including today's guest, Rotten Tomatoes approved film critic, member of the Southeastern Film Critics and North Carolina Film Critics Associations. You can find her writing in In Review and at her own site from the front row, The Newly Engaged, Maddie (laughs) Lucas. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You're my pleasure. Congratulations, by the Thank way. You. Uh, what a what a what a momentous time for uh, for this to be the case. Um, I, I you know that that whirlwind of engagement. You're just like so high in endorphins, essentially. <laughs> for it's, it's everything kind of goes right until the real world comes and uh, smacks you in the face. Um, <laughs> but congratulations, regardless. Uh, we're going to talk about a really interesting film today, uh, getting some really interesting aspects. But as I do with every episode, I will start with the question, Maddie, if a film executive wanted to make a movie specifically for you, what would that movie have as far as the elements? Oh, you know, I was thinking about this earlier, and there are so, so many ways to answer that, because I don't feel like mm. there's a, like one specific target that's like, oh, that's a me movie, because... Uh, yeah. so many different things appeal to me on so many different levels um you know i could say i, I right now uh i am i'm a big fan of uh edwardian culture um that mm. time period late 1800s 1900s um and i think that the reason uh for that is for my childhood love of the movie titanic um so, ah. you know, i love things <laughs> set in that world i i love uh anything you know with with good queer themes, uh, something that I I love drama, juicy drama. So, you know, if, if, if we could make something set in the Edwardian area with, uh, a lot of like, um, queer drama sniping at each other, like, you know, Gilded Age, but make it gayer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's, I like, uh, so like, um, if, uh, uh, what if, uh, Pedro Almodovar does a uh, does a period piece in Edwardian times. Yes, yes, that's it. Nailed it. Okay, awesome, awesome. That's a good, that's a good uh, good scope of everything. Um, that kind of leads us into the film uh, we have to talk about today. We are talking about Ghost World, uh, directed by Terry Zwigoff, uh, screenplay by Daniel Close and Terry Zwigoff, based on the uh, graphic novel by Daniel Close, uh, starring uh, Thor Birch, Scarlett Johansson, Steve Buscemi, Brad Renfro, Elena Douglas. Bob Balaban, uh, and then uh, a bunch of little little cameos by uh, you got Terry Garr and mm-hmm. David Cross and uh, Ezra Buzzington and stuff like uh, uh, Patrick Fl- uh, Patrick Fischler is in there. Uh, you know, all a bunch of bevy of weird people is uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of the awesome of this movie. Um, came out in uh, two thousand and one. Um, it is it's a fascinating movie. Uh, it's on Tubi, by the way. So if you want to pause the podcast, go watch it, come back, and then you can follow along as you go. But regardless, um, 
Maddie, can you do us a favor and give us a quick rundown of the film Ghost World? Uh, so Ghost World is about uh, two young women, played by Thora Birch and Scarlett Johansson, Eden, Enid and Becky, uh, who are recently graduated from high school and they are entering the adult world. Um, and they are very disaffected, kind of loners. Uh, they don't seem to fit in anywhere and they are... They're kind of looking for where they fit in. Uh, Thora Birch eventually meets and befriends uh, an older man played by Steve Buscemi uh, named Seymour, uh, who is also kind of an awkward loner who doesn't quite fit in. He's got these interests that are far outside of mainstream culture, and they, they form a very strange and unique bond over the course of the movie. It's, uh, it's kind of a hard film to try to describe. It's uh, if, if, if I was like I was saying, I was telling my wife I was like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna do Ghost World, and it's like, what's Ghost World? And I, I kind of tell her, and she goes, that's that 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 doesn't sound like a movie. <laughs> like it's just like, yeah. <laughs> it's it. This is a uh, this is very much a vibes type of mm-hmm. movie, um, where where you kind of you get once you figure out kind of the wavelength the film is on, it makes it much more, uh, much more understanding of what everything is trying to essentially go with it what's your uh, what's your history with this film so ghost world came out at a very formative time for me um mm. 2001 is kind of the year that i really fell in love with film um so that's that's a very special year for me and i i have a strange sort of affinity and affection for movies that came out that year um i believe that was the year that i turned i was 15 or 16 um you know i was in high school and i the movie that actually started it all for me was gosford park um which mm. again kind of fits in that uh talk about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, but i i remember uh i was my, my parents did not let me watch r-rated movies at the time so i i rent sure. ghost world uh, at my grandpa's house, uh, as I was, I was wont to do. That's where I would, I would find the things that I wanted to see, and I would rent them and uh, watch them at his house. And uh, Ghost World was one of those. And I watched. I, I still remember. I watched Ghost World and American Beauty for the first time the same day. So it was like a Thora Burt. Oh. Um, <laughs> and Ghost World was really the one that I fell in love with. Um, that was the one that I felt that spoke most to me. You know, as someone who was in high school at the time. Um, didn't quite feel like I fit in with what the popular culture was. Uh, I, I felt very connected to what was going on. It's a, it's, it's hard to say, you know, this film has such a disdain for popular culture (laughs) better for, for better, for better or worse. Like the, um, the idea of somebody being popular in high school and then living their best life and just like partying and contemporary and like it, it's um, they they have such low tolerance for anybody going man we're out of high school right what a journey it's been <laughs> and they just just like oh come on the entire movie is like I hate these people yes. these people who like drink regular beers and drink you know it's 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 kind of it's essentially you know, like hipsters before hipsters were really a thing mm-hmm. like. But it's also not hipsters because hipsters would be a side of that as well. It's it's uh, yeah, a, a fascinating film. Like you like you said, um, I, I generally ask it's like, well, what makes you the target audience? Like you said, you set it up. It's it it's it's it was relatable as far as like I don't feel right in this world, 
and there's no, the the most interesting thing I think the film does is it never really gets to the point where they're like, oh, here's this world that you fit into. Nobody really does. Everybody's just kind of like, except for like you you could say you know the kind of the curse of Rebecca Scarlett Johansson's character is that she is a a, a beautiful woman who is generally accepted by people because of her beauty and she can kind of fit in that mainstream and that's essentially what kind of fractures her relationship with Enid but Enid is this this whole I've never seen a character on film like Enid it's a it's a it's a wholly interesting character what do you feel about Thor Birch in general and in this movie more specifically um i you know i've always been a fan of thor birch i i think that she's an actress that i really like that doesn't um probably get as many parts as i wish that she would um but you know she has that very specific alienated kind of feel and i feel like there is a, a somewhat of a kinship between her character in ghost world and her character in american beauty um mm. that and you know i wonder if she hasn't kind of been pigeonholed in that disaffected loner kind of uh kind of scene but um yeah i i i think that she's she's a wonderful actress and i I wish that i wish we saw more of her um well there was an uh unfortunately there was a very good reason we saw less of her uh unfortunately is that her parents were uh were there were the uh i believe her managers and her parents um, burned a few bridges along the way, uh, along her career. So it kind of alienated her, but she's starting to wake her way back into independent film. So, um, she's such a interesting personality in this film. And it's, it's so, I, I, I was, I I wrote notes for this film and and the thing I kept coming to, I just kept saying cynical just over and over and over again. And it's just, um, it's, it's funny how, Generally, whenever there's like a cynical character in a film and going forward and how they view the world, it's kind of viewed as a negative. And this really isn't viewed as a negative. It's kind of more of a feature of, it's like, obviously you all see how stupid all this is, right? And the film kind of goes along with it. No, yeah, I I was thinking about this, um, especially in regards to Enid's character and how how she views the world that... um, there's an element that there was a there was a specific line that I, I wanted to remember and now it's mm. it's leaving me. <laughs> it's just <laughs> uh, but I, I the, the film is cynical in in a way that you know it's it's about people who are disaffected from the world but I I don't think it necessarily uh, celebrates it either. There's there's an interesting kind. Of Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- I remember the line now. It's it's when um, she, Enid is talking about Seymour, and she says he's the exact opposite of everything that I really hate. Um, and I I feel like that says a lot about her character in that she doesn't really know what she likes; she just knows what she yes. doesn't like. Um, and yes, I, I think there was an element of that. That's that's a trap that I've certainly fallen into in my life. I'm like, okay, I don't want to be this. I don't want to be this. I don't like this. Um, so what do I actually want to be? Um, and, mm. and so I kind of connected that, uh, connected to that with, with Enid's character and how she kind of, she defined herself more by her dislikes than her likes. And I think in the end of the film that leaves her kind of adrift 
because mm. everyone else has found something they like and found something they've connected to maybe and, and she just can't she can't settle she can't be settled in a world where um she can't find authenticity and i think that's something that she craves and that's something about popular culture that she disdains is that she finds it inauthentic um that yes. authenticity is something that that she wants and cannot find um and that's kind of the tragedy i think of the film I think it's that's a really fascinating way to look at it. It's it's almost like the elimination diagnosis a uh, uh, diagnosis of of interest. Um, it's it's like well, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. I guess I like it. Um, yeah, and that's a really, I mean, even the, you know, the initial uh, meeting with Seymour when Seymour gives her the album and she starts listening to it, she goes, "Oh, this is something I like." Mm-hmm. And she was initially listening to it ironically. And then kind of has to discover it, and um, it's 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 a it's a really it's it's a fascinating dichotomy between, like you said, it's not what she has no agency and what she's pursuing. She's just avoiding, and it just happens to coincide with what that uh, kind of is. Um, the 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 story of Seymour specifically is such a. Um, Steve Buscemi is on record saying he really didn't like playing Seymour uh, just because he said uh, it it, kind of made his skin crawl a little bit. I think we have a, we as a culture kind of underestimate the coolness of Steve Buscemi as a person. Mm. As we assume he's kind of like, this is the perfect Steve Buscemi role in pretty much everybody's mind. And he pretty much nails (laughs) it across the board. And I think that kind of mortifies him. (laughs) Like he, (laughs) I think he, I th- I think he probably looks at like Boardwalk Empire and going like this is the thing this is the thing look how cool and devious and stuff he is it's like no 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 but you're totally the wormy Seymour right it's like no 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 like <laughs> it's uh, I I that being said I've never seen a character more molded to the specific personality of an actor like Seymour was for Steve Buscemi oh absolutely I mean he's he's kind of this lovable weirdo um, he's obsessed with uh ragtime music and jazz and blues but a very specific era <laughs> of that from like the 1920s yes. and you know i i relate to that on on a, on a certain level um just because of my love of silent film and you know when people ask me mm. my favorite movie and i'm naming stuff from the 20s and you can just see their eyes glaze over <laughs> uh, yeah that's that's i i get it you know i i get being somebody yeah. who's uh, whose interests are very much out of step with the time that you're in. Um, and sure. I, I think that's what draws Enid to him because she also feels out of step with the time that she's in, just maybe in a very different way. And whenever I first saw this film uh, a few years ago, I remember watching at the end, I was really impressed by Steve Buscemi, by, by Seymour in general, not because of, like the kind of worminess of him or anything, but more of like he's as, as goofy and particular as he is, he's incredibly self-aware. He knows this is not a special thing. Like he is not like, Oh, I'm, I'm the, I'm the diamond in the rough. He's like, no, no, no. I am in a, I'm in a room listening to records that only I care about. He, I think one of the, like one of his first few interactions with Enid specifically says that collecting is a curse Mm -hmm. essentially that these people are so obsessive over collecting it's all they ever care about and they can't actually have connection in the rest of their lives and 
he is fully aware of this and admits it and has no problem with it. Like, oh, I, I work for this uh, this chain restaurant as an assistant manager. Like, do you care about that? Nah, it's fine. Like, it's, 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 I've never seen somebody so uh, as pathetically seeming, but with the confidence to realize his patheticness, but not, uh, but at the same time, never, uh, never languishing in it. He's just like, ah, you know, whatever. Like, he's fine. He's the most comfortable guy. He's kind of resigned to it. I mean, this is, he's, he's yeah. decided this is his fate. He's just going to be this loser who's alone sitting amongst his quote-unquote old-time thingamajigs. And yep. uh, Enid coming into his life kind of disrupts that because I think maybe it yeah. shows him that it's possible there's something else out there, but they're just in such different places in their lives that there's no way they can uh really come together in the way that i think he hopes they can yeah and like you said he's resigned to the life he has chosen and he cannot imagine it's like you're a young girl i'm supposed to bring you into this Mm -hmm. and on the on the flip side whenever he uh he he meets his uh uh the uh personal ad or the uh the essentially the Craigslist of the 2001s, uh, the miss, the misconnection. Um, oh, I can't even remember her name, uh, her name, excuse me. Uh, uh, Dana, excuse me, Dana. So whenever he meets Dana, it's like, well, a fairly attractive lady who's age appropriate. He doesn't, he doesn't go to like, oh, well, I got to bring her into this world. And he's like, there's no reason to try this. I'm going to adapt more for her world. And he's more mutable to that fact as opposed to Enid who is just I am going this is my life I am not going to deviate it from it no matter what and it's kind of where the disconnect between those two happen yeah I I think you know the relationship with Dana is interesting because I think there's you're right you know she's more age appropriate she's more settled she's more I guess I don't want to use the word mature because I, I don't there's a shallowness to her too that he can't connect yeah. to. She doesn't really understand his world and doesn't mm-hmm. really try to, despite what he says. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she's there's a pretension to her, and I think the movie has a, a fairly healthy disdain for pretension of all kinds. Mm-hmm. I, I always giggle at the, the the flower that drank the moon, the pretentious film by fictional yes. director Dustoff Varnu, who is critically uh, acclaimed. <laughs> Um, and, and the movie. Yeah. I like, yeah, I I like that a little bit too, where they're like this, 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 and then, then she specifically mentions, I'm like, fine. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) But he, he's like, I love Laurel and Hardy movies. I don't understand this. Um, yeah. She's like, well, why is the fat one always so mean to the skinny one? I don't get this. You know, I, I, I kind of understand because a lot of the movies I love would probably be in that uh, flower that drank the moon joke that the movies that I, <laughs> I really love Laurel Hardy yeah. movies. I grew up on that. And uh, so I, yeah. I, I kind of understand both worlds a little bit. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm much more traditional, like uh, I, I, I was able to kind of, uh, you know, separate myself as not being the one this film would make fun of. But if I was in this film, I would absolutely be the guys they would be making fun of. Like, <laughs> eating at Chili's, you know, drinking light beer, stuff like, like that. Like, I, I realize that. But at the same time, this film has such a specific brand of humor. Like, going from a traditional jazz musician 
playing on a or a bluegrass musician playing the guitar to a bunch of twenty-year-old white guys singing about uh, jazz, picking cotton, picking cotton. <laughs> yes. cotton. As soon as they did, it, I'm like, the, the as this film knows exactly what it's doing. Yes, it's like <laughs> there's 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 no there's no ambiguity about this. Um, so is there is there like a specific scene, line, or visual from this film that hits you the most? You're like where you realize this film is definitely on the side of, of your kind of wavelength. I mean, I, I think what I latched onto, especially at the time was Seymour's line. I can't relate to 99% of humanity. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really resonated with then. And it watching it now and you know i've watched it many times throughout the years and mm. revisiting it for this podcast it's it struck me how you know it, it is not an explicitly queer movie but as no. a, a trans woman now whose egg had not cracked in 2001 watching it and mm. seeing seeing parts of myself that i had not really noticed before in enid and yeah. enid you know, she's just graduated from high school. She's kind of drifting. She doesn't know what she wants to be or who she wants to be. And she's constantly trying out different things. She's changing her hair. She's changing like mid scene. She will change her glasses. She'll change her hat. Like she will change her look (laughs) from not even just one scene to the next, but within the same scene, because she's like constantly experimenting and trying to find who she is. And I really connected with that. Um, and maybe I didn't realize how much I connected to that piece of it in 2001 as I do now. But looking back on sure. it, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I see. I, 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 I see other layers that I connected to maybe subconsciously of just uh, her not knowing who she is and who she wants to be and, and trying against all odds in a world that maybe doesn't quite understand her to find that. And, and it's funny you say that because I was thinking to myself while watching this 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 most recent time for this podcast, I was thinking of you and watching this, and I kind of put myself in in kind of your shoes to be like, well, why would Maddie connect to this? And I was thinking, man, just like she's so everything in the world makes her uncomfortable, and there's just no comfort, and because the no the lack of comfort, there's no relaxation, there's no. You know the 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 comfortable in your own skin the that 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 wasn't there. She's just constantly searching for something to make her comfortable and essentially fit in the world. It's like it, it's it's we talked about the cynicism of of essentially being against the pretension the the being against anything pretentious, and essentially like she she's incapable of being comfortable with the world as it is as it is sculpted for her. And it's a constant never ending battle of trying to fit into that bubble that works. And then eventually she gets on the bus and then she ends up in Joel Talbot movies. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> do you know the connection of that one? The, the last, the last man, the last black man in San Francisco. I mean, I've, I've seen that film. I'm not sure what the connection is there. So uh, on the the famous scene where Jimmy Fells is on the bus and he says you can't hate San Francisco unless you love it, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's Thor Birch is talking, and Thor Birch is one of the people, 
And the and the director specifically said it's like she never got off the bus. At oh, the I end love of Ghost that. World. I, yeah. I love it too. It's really, really interesting dynamic of it. Um Okay, so I, I kind of want to like I'm I'm gonna get to this question a little early because I usually don't go within this early, but this is a kind of an interesting aspect of it. So okay. I asked the question: is is like, do you feel this film is more broad-minded and hits you specifically, or is this meant for a more specialized audience? Now, generally, when I ask that, it's more of a broad-minded film. I in this case, I don't see that as necessarily the case. Like, I cannot imagine. Whenever they made that, they're like, okay, we're ready for $100 million <laughs> out of the gate because I cannot imagine, <laughs> like, this being the case. Um, but, I mean, do, do you think the outcast side of things, do you think this this film is like the, the, the people who this is going to touch is really going to touch them? Or do you think it was kind of like, okay, let's see if we can just get normies on board with what we're trying to say? I don't think it's trying to do that at all. I, I think it's it's kind of alienating and off-putting. And, oh, yeah. you know, I as I revisited it this week, I was thinking, you know, I, I, I do feel special affinity uh, for Enid. And I love these characters, but they're all kind of almost um doggedly unlikable <laughs> like yeah they, they, yeah almost yeah trying, yeah they're they are not trying to engender audience affection really and they they don't care mm. they don't you know that's that's kind of the point of the characters and i i i i remember after seeing this um when it first came out and just being so connected to it and i wanted to share it with everybody because I, I felt like this movie had spoken to me so specifically and everybody i showed it to was just like eh, i don't really get it <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah yeah so that was one reason i mean you know obviously it, it was nominated for an oscar and it's there's a there's a criterion mm. disc of it now and you know clearly it resonated with people but you know at the time it kind of felt like my movie this was like i i nobody else i know loves this they either haven't seen it they have seen it they don't <laughs> like it but yeah weird. and i i kind of felt alone in my love for it in in, in the way that some of the characters feel a love alone uh, in their love for certain things and um i don't think it's a movie that is trying to be liked nor does it care if you like it yep I think that's a really good way of putting it. Like, you know, Terry Zwigoff in general is is not the type of person to be like, oh, I'm going to make a movie that makes all this money. He somehow was able to do so, but he was able to do so in his own specific way. Like, the it's... If you've seen any other of his films, it's kind of like, this is, this is kind of what he does. Like, he makes these offbeat mm. things that are not meant for like he's, he's not going to spend a ton of money. He's not going to get these big, huge stars. Now it kind of comes in handy that Thor, you know, they were able to get Thor Birch two years after American beauty and Scarlett Johansson before she was Scarlett Johansson and Steve Buscemi before he really got, you know, his, his number came up that, that much higher. But I mean, kind of having to mind that, way of doing things like you the the inherent unlikability of especially early in the film some of the things they do is just plain cruel 
Like the yeah. the obviously the 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 MacGuffin to kickstart it all is obviously play, the prank Carl called to Seymour saying that they were Dana essentially. Um, mm-hmm. It's incredibly mean, and yeah, uh, in ha- half the things they do are just cruel for the sake of being cruel, and it, it it's it's easier to it, it's easier to be mean than to try to understand a viewpoint essentially. And it's like, well, trying to, why would I try to get on the same level as this jock who, who is, you know, taking beer bongs? Why would I try that when it's much easier just to make fun of him? Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up about the cruelty of it. Cause I, I, I think that made me cringe a little more now than it did then, because there is this mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. ironic remove to everything they do. Um, but I don't think they necessarily realize or appreciate that these have that this can cause real world damage, and I, I think that eventually does you know yeah. hit Enid right in the face uh, because yeah. she 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 does this cruel thing to Seymour, feels bad about it, decides to try to bef- she ends up befriending him, and then somehow manages to screw up his life even worse uh, by the end of the movie. Uh, but you know it's like when she's following the people that she thinks are Satanists, she's sitting there, you know, mm. doodling them and uh, following them around and making fun of them for, you know, popping up their umbrellas outside. But also those kind of seem like the people that they would be drawn to. Interestingly. Yeah. Um, which I yeah. kind of goes back to, to her just not really having a direction and not really knowing like even people who would be natural, natural allies or natural friends for her. Um, she kind of sees herself as superior to all of that um, and can't let herself really connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we hadn't really talked about Scarlett Johansson much and it's funny because on this rewatch, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is about these two girls. And then on the rewatch, I'm like, wow, Scarlett Johansson's really not in this much. Like she's, she's much more a side character. This film, like, Apparently, from the uh, one of the big deviations from the book or from the uh, from the uh, uh, graphic novel to this is that it was much it was the two of them, and Seymour was kind of like a side character, and then they adjusted it to more of this version. Um, I guess I don't know much about Rebecca as a character other than she's friends with Enid, and as soon as they graduate, it kind of starts to fracture. Uh, their, their, even their relationship is kind of hard to grasp. I don't really, I, I, I don't, I don't really know where it came from and what their connection is. I mean, it's clear that they kind of bonded over things that they, they hated. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's one thing that ends up, uh, hurting Eden in the end is that that's kind of her focus is what she doesn't like. And I think, yeah, I, I think, Rebecca is probably more of a, a universal character because she kind of starts to grow out of that. And I think that's the thing is she yeah. starts to grow up or quote mature. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the movie views maturing or growing up kind of um, not necessarily as a bad thing, but she's kind of, she's adjusting to the world. And I, I think that the movie is about people yeah. who either uh, adjust to the world around them or they try to make the world around them adjust to them. Um, and yes. Rebecca's the one who she starts to grow up and she starts to do the things that Enid used to disdain, 
about the world. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get an apartment. I'm going to kind of live a normal life, um, yeah. quote unquote, normal life, um, which Enid doesn't really want. Enid wants more than that, but she doesn't know what that is. And I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like Becky's the more, the more universal character. You, you, you leave high school, you kind of leave those, those clicks and those little, uh, ideas that you had in high school behind and you you become an adult and she's she's the one who transitions into adulthood with more ease and she has kind of the chance to be the audience mouthpiece like you got fired after one day what idiot does that like like everybody kind of goes yeah like why would you get fired after one day after a couple hours and you know it's the you got to upsize and you know it's the you know it's lampooning work culture but at the same time like you 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 gotta you gotta play the game a little bit. Like you can't just right. Nobody is an out and out rebel all the time. It doesn't work. You can't be that way all the time. You have to compartmentalize. And I think that's the inherent contradiction that Enid hates so much. Like she's right about all of those things that she's saying when she's yep. got that job at the movie theater. Like the upsizing is sleazy. Yeah. Um, you know, yep. there's nothing wrong with making fun of the movie. Like, yeah, the butter's gross. <laughs> like, she's not yeah, wrong. Yeah. But she's, no. she's not, you know, you, you, sometimes you have to adapt uh, yourself um, to situations in order to succeed. And she is either unwilling or unable uh, to do that to survive. Yeah, I agree. Um, this film is filled with a lot of. Uh, interesting faces, uh, some that made me sad, like 19-year-old Brad Renfro, uh, mm-hmm. just just looking like a baby behind the counter. Um, uh, Elena Douglas, who is just hilarious in her deadpan <laughs> of everything she does, uh, hugging everybody makes me laugh. Uh, Bob Balaban, in his most Bob Balabaniest, um, as as the most pushover of, of fathers to essentially it's like, Oh, let's give Enid the perfect doormat father that will never actually have any, like how does Enid become this way? Have this guy in her life. And, uh, like I said, Terry Gar and, uh, David Cross as, as trying to, as the, again, the most David Crossiest character you could imagine trying to pick up a 19 year old or 18 year old yes uh, there's a seat right um, over there <laughs> just every line yeah exactly um and 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 even the non-famous people the cool thing that Zwigoff does especially with this film is he populates it with all these odd characters just like on the outskirts and makes them beha- behave in such a strange way the guy with the nunchucks obviously being a great example the old guy waiting for the bus stop. Um, whenever I, I first saw Norman. the nunchucks, I, I was <laughs> Norman. Yeah, Norman is great. Um, the guy with the nunchucks is always fun because whenever I first watch it, I'm like, man, he's in really good shape for just being a guy who hangs out at a convenience store all day. It's like guy's got a six pack. Like what? He's he's just he's just hanging out at a convenience store doing nunchucks. That's not exactly what you expect. But that the entire film is filled with that. And he's um, the guy from right. Reno Nine One One. I don't know if. You really? I, Is he I really? I didn't realize that for a long time, and I can't remember the actor's name. But yes, he's uh, he's in Reno 911. Well, now I got that's that's hilarious. What a what a nice little piece of meta casting for Reno 911. Yeah, it's <laughs> like oh, we got to get the we got to get the nunchuck guy from uh, Ghost World. Um, uh, I also really like the little um, a post credit scene of a film like this, 
which uh, which I really enjoyed, where Steve Buscemi actually wins the fight in the. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a very silly little <laughs> scene for them to throw in there, but uh, yeah, it's all through yeah. version where Seymour actually like beats the hell out of everybody, but it's it's. It's it's so silly. Like for some reason, I was remembering it being much more choreographed, and it was not. Like, <laughs> but uh, a really a really interesting vibes type movie. So this kind of leads me into our final question about the film. When it comes to so you talked about you've mentioned this to other people, and they're just like, I don't get it. So when it comes to venturing outside the target audience about this film, what do you want audiences to understand? about what this film is trying to do. I mean, I think it's just such a potent picture of alienation. And I, I, I love that there's not necessarily a happy ending to it, but you mm. know, it's, it, it's a, it's a movie about just not feeling settled and not feeling connected to the world around you. And I, I think that, mm people can watch that and kind of understand what that feeling is like, because it doesn't mm -hmm. end with some magical moment where Enid suddenly realizes who she is and um, rides off into the sunset. She, she rides off into the sunset still not knowing who she is. And that's, it, it, it just feels, it feels so real to me. Um, you know, when you're yeah. in high school and there are those people who transition immediately, go to college and they, they get a job and they've, you know, they're, they're connected to people and they kind of stay in their hometown and, you know, they go off and, you know, become realtors or, or work at the family business <laughs> and, and kind of settle yeah. in the world. And then there are those people who um, just can't quite figure it out. Um, and people yeah. kind of, that don't have that experience, don't really understand why that is. And I, I think ghost world, uh, is just such an indelible portrait of what that kind of ennui feels like. Um, and it's, it's funny and dark and it's yeah. kind of mean spirited in ways, but I, <laughs> it's, it's what I find, um, find very moving, um, and recognizable. And, um, yeah. I, I hope other people can find something to connect with in that. Yeah. And, and, and whenever, you know, I, I didn't see much of myself in the characters of this film for a, a myriad of reasons, but it's more than anything. Whenever I first watched it, I'm like, this is just a, it's a, it's a world that is unlike what you see in film, like the environment and the vibe and the uh, essentially like the circumstances of what, like there's, there's so many of like, Oh, I'm out of high school. What now? There's so many of that, but this is not really, it's it, it's like they're assuming they're automatically adults, and obviously that's not the case. And how even at eighteen, you're just like, well, I still have no clue what to do. Not even oh, what to do with my life. I don't know what to do about anything. And what do I even like? Do I like this? Do I not like? Yeah. So, um, fat, very very good movie. Uh, I believe it's on. It's on. Uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime for free. Uh, I think it's. I, th I think it's on that freebie. So you uh, watch ads, whatever. It's free, and uh, it's also on Tubi. Excellent film. Go watch it, um, Maddie. Before we go, a uh, couple other questions. I have to ask my favorite question every single time. Give me a film where you are not the target audience that hits you in a specific way. This is a, such an interesting question because people are always always surprise me with this. 
Uh, so I, I saw I saw this question coming on the outline, and I was trying to rack my brain of um, just because there are. I, I feel like my tastes are so varied when it comes to film. I'm like, what am I not yeah. the target audience for? I love everything uh, <laughs> and hate everything at the same time. Uh, <laughs> I, I the, the best answer I could come up with is sideways. Ah, ah, nice. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've, I, Sideways is a movie that I've always loved. I've always felt deeply moved by. Um, I, I don't really feel like I have anything in common with Paul Giamatti's mm. character in that movie. <laughs> um, and I know a lot yeah. of people who criticize the movie, like, oh, all the critics that love this movie just see themselves in Paul Giamatti. I do not see myself in Paul yeah. Giamatti in that movie. I <laughs> don't I don't really connect with him on that way. But there are there are certain things that I do connect with um, that, you know, yeah. I, I just find so lovely and beautiful. There's the 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 yeah, it it it, it made me love Pinot Noir uh, <laughs> as uh, was just becoming old enough to drink but you know it's yeah it, sideways is something that i i find myself strangely connected to uh and that's you know and that and maybe it was the time of my life that i encountered it again that was it yeah. came out the year i graduated high school um yeah. and just it, it it doesn't have the same kind of themes of alienation as ghost world but you know here's this this lonely guy who has mm. interests that don't quite uh with everybody around him and it, it it kind of impedes him from connecting with people and i think that was something that yeah. i was drawn to at the time yeah and and uh we're the we're the same age so i also saw it when i graduated high school and i saw it and i was like okay well this is i i saw it as a roadmap of how not to live my life like <laughs> like well i don't want to i don't want i don't want to end up like this guy uh obviously not uh yeah. you know having having good friends later in life and uh, you know but the the pathetic nature of it um it's it's a fascinating parallel between ghost world and sideways like you said um kind of a guy who is in this little niche community niche community and and then like at the end when you have more of a whenever he goes to that wine tasting the more normy wine tasting and how how disgusted he is at it all like it's a uh, it's th that'd be that's an interesting double feature between the two. Uh, that's a that's a really good uh, that's yeah. that's a really good answer. I appreciate that. Okay, before we go, Maddie, give me two or three other films that describe you as a film goer. You said you're a lover of silent films. Oh man, I mean, my favorite film is The Passion of Joan of Arc. I I just think it's the most mm. beautiful thing. Um, I I. I, I I always, I always try to recommend. Um, there's a film called uh, Manuel Montant um, that is it's a silent film, but there are no intertitles. The entire thing um, is done without words, and I, I think it's just, just action. Hmm. such a fabulous way of of how to express a story uh, not using words and and just pure mm. cinema as a visual medium that fascinates me how how it can tell you what's going on without saying a word um, more modern uh, Titanic um, Gosford Park <laughs> I mean those those are movies that are are, are set in a world that I respond to um, uh, quite well mm. so that's 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 kind of that's where I'm at. It's it's funny, uh, it, it's funny having Gosford Park and Titanic next to each other because you're just like, oh well, you love Titanic. What else do you like, Gosford Park? And I'm like, 
okay. Like that's it's like a lot of people love Titanic. I'm not sure the overlap of the two. Like <laughs> it's like, um, you know, yeah. It, in your in your mind, Gosford Park is the two billion dollar uh, grocer. Um, yeah, oh, sorry, that yes. makes sense. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Well, Maddie, thank you so very much for joining me. Uh, this has been a uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and talk about this film. Um, as I said, it is on Freevee and Tubi, so go check it out uh, and uh, get yourself in for a uh, quite the experience. Uh, that just about does it for this episode of Target Audience. Thank you all so very much for joining joining us. And Maddie, thank you for joining me. What do you have to plug? What do you got going on? This is the worst time in the world to be a film critic because you're so freaking busy. <laughs> well find me at fromthefrontrow.net and inreviewonline.com and you can also follow me on uh, the website formerly known as twitter at uh at cinematty and the same on blue sky uh, a wonderful cinematic mind that you have it's always interesting to uh to read what you got going on and uh you're just a lovely follow in general uh and as i said once again congratulations yeah. on your engagement Thank you so much. Uh, you Thanks can for follow having me. My absolute pleasure. You can follow me on Twitter at Neb has been, on Letterboxd at Neb has been, on Blue Sky at Neb has been, and on Instagram at Neb.isbin. Check out my website, icecreepforfreaks.com. You can also find my other writing on the film experience, cinema scholars, and movies we texted about. You can also find me guesting on other pods as I'm the David Thulis of podcasting. Please follow the podcast on Twitter at Target Odd Pod and Blue Sky at Target Audience. You can enjoy the show wherever you get your podcast on your platform of your choice. Remember, get out of your bubble, expand your horizons, and just watch more movies. Thanks so much for joining us. On a bed made of water of your tongue Tone deaf with a headache for one Back to the water below Alone as a float like a stone